Morning, church. My name is Ben. Your scripture reading today comes from Luke 10, 1 through 24. So buckle up. And also prepare your hearts. After this, the Lord appointed 72 others and sent them out two by two ahead of him to every town and place he was about to go. He told them, the harvest is plentiful, but the workers are few. Ask the Lord of the harvest, therefore, to send out workers into his harvest field. Go, I am sending you out like lambs among wolves. Do not take a purse or bag or sandals, and do not greet anyone on the road. When you enter a house, first say, peace to this house. If someone who promotes peace is there, your peace will rest on them. If not, it will return to you. Stay there, eating and drinking whatever they give you, for the worker deserves his wages. Do not move around from house to house. When you enter a town and are welcomed, eat what is offered to you. Heal the sick who are there and tell them, the kingdom of God has come near to you. But when you enter a town and are not welcomed, go into its streets and say, even the dust of your town we wipe from our feet as a warning to you. Be sure of this. The kingdom of God has come near. I tell you, it will be more bearable on that day for Sodom than for that town. Woe to you, Chorazin. Woe to you, Bethsaida. For if the miracles that were performed in you had been performed in Tyre and Sidon, they would have repented long ago, sitting in sackcloth and ashes. But it will be more bearable for Tyre and Sidon at the judgment than for you. And you, Capernaum, will you be lifted to the heavens? No, you will go down to Hades. Whoever listens to you listens to me. Whoever rejects you rejects me. But whoever rejects me rejects him who sent me. The 72 returned with joy and said, Lord, even the demons submit to us in your name. He replied, I saw Satan fall like lightning from heaven. I have given you authority to trample on snakes and scorpions and to overcome all the power of the enemy. Nothing will harm you. However, do not rejoice that the spirits submit to you, but rejoice that your names are written in heaven. At that time, Jesus, full of joy through the Holy Spirit, said, I praise you, Father, Lord of heaven and earth, because you have hidden these things from the wise and the learned and revealed them to little children. Yes, Father, for this is what you were pleased to do. All things have been committed to me by my Father. No one knows who the Son is except the Father, and no one knows who the Father is except the Son and those to whom the Son chooses to reveal him. And then he turned to his disciples and said privately, Blessed are the eyes that see what you see. For I tell you that many prophets and kings wanted to see what you see, but did not see it, and to hear what you hear, but did not hear it. This is the word of the Lord. All right, you have a movie like this. I'm going to spoil some movies for you. I just want to apologize. That's a huge like crime in our family to ruin a story. Um, and I'm going to do it like four times right now. Um, you, you know, you have a movie that's your movie that's like the big twist at the end uh, that happens and it's so like uh, mind-blowing. It has your head spinning. It makes you want to go back and watch, watch the whole thing over. Like I remember the first one that I really remember was uh, when Edward Norton stopped stuttering in Primal Fear. Yeah, yeah, exactly. And you're just like, no way! And you kind of want to go back and watch the whole thing. Um, M. Night Shyamalan, he made a living off this plot device, right? You call it the, Shyam- the Shyamalan twist, right? Um, you, want, you want to go back and see the whole, the whole story again in light of the big reveal that happens. He was dead the whole time! This village is in modern times! The water kills the aliens! No one saw signs, right? No one saw... 
No one saw that one. Like, the, the girl just leaves water. Anyway, and go back and check out some Shyamalan films. So um, that's what Jesus is doing after the resurrection. Like, Shyamalan twists, like, oh, everything that I've been telling you in part, now, like, the whole story is coming into focus. Like, everything that I've been talking about Actually, the penny is dropping now. You, you, you can see that this isn't just something that we're talking about in the, in the ethereal. This is something that you're invited into with your whole life. This is something that is actually going to transform history in a significant way. And, and whether or not you believe in Jesus or not, like what happens with his followers in the first century does change, change history. It is such a significant uh, such a significant reality is breaking into the world. Jesus is talking about it like this is a new way to be a human being. And it is, it is really profound. And it's not until after the resurrection that the twist sort of happens for the disciples. And, and, and you know, there's like 120 of them by the day, the day of Pentecost gathered together in prayer. So it's more than just the 12 that we're talking about. But it says that Jesus spent the 40 days after the resurrection, after this huge twist in the story that they couldn't have anticipated, even though he was talking about it all along the way, he spends the 40 days after the resurrection telling them about the kingdom of God, inviting them now that you really see it now that the 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 thing is clicked into focus this is how we're, we're called to live and that's what we're trying to do in easter tide these 40 days after easter is take our cues from jesus um, follow his example in that regard and talk about the kingdom in the most essential ways what is the kingdom of god and week one we try to do it as revealed in the whole arc of scripture then we're trying to, to see the way that Jesus in particular frames the kingdom as a relational kingdom. And then in the heart of that is this personal invitation that becomes a communal invitation to follow Jesus. And so last week we talked about how to follow Jesus and we're trying to do it in the most practical terms. And we're, we're going we're gonna to keep that going this, this morning. So how to follow Jesus, and I think if you're here, maybe you don't need much convincing that following Jesus would be a good thing or that there's a host of benefits in your life, in the world, in the heart of God that come from following Jesus. But as followers of Jesus, the, the, the treasure of, 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 of God's grace and mercy and love and life that's poured out on us, it means that you, as a follower of Jesus, you really have a share in Jesus' life. In Jesus' death and Jesus' resurrection, it becomes our life, death, and resurrection. We're united to Christ in this mysterious but somehow also tremendously practical, beautiful way. Um, It means that you're brought into God's family, that whatever you came into this room thinking about yourself this morning, let me be one to remind you that if you're united to Christ, you are a beloved son or daughter of God, and he looks over your life, and and hidden in Christ, he just says, I'm so well pleased with you, like, well well done, my good and faithful servant. Can you imagine God saying that to you now before you've done, you know, before before you've made it to the end? What what a thing, that you're filled with the Spirit of God, very spirit that, that, uh, that, that filled Jesus, the very spirit that is poured out at Pentecost, we're going to celebrate in just a few weeks, is filling your life. That means the fruit of the spirit. What is the fruit of the spirit in someone's life? Love and joy and peace and patience and kindness and goodness and faithfulness and self-control. This is the reality that is coming by transformation to govern our, our actual lives, that you are a full participant in God's healing work in the world. That's what it means to be a follower of Jesus. You are a full participant 
in God's healing work in the world. It's not like there are certain classes of Christians that are about God's healing work in the world and, the re- and, 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 and some others that, that are not so much involved in that. Like, like say, say families is a perfect intersection ex- ex- example. Like the way you think about the redemptive edge of your vocation is, is, a, is a perfect example. Like everything we do is meant to be swept up in this following of, of Jesus. We were talking in the membership course this morning about how to follow Jesus was to live in the dust of the rabbi. It means it's not just like Jesus said to his disciples, hey, meet me, I'm gonna do a teaching conference this Saturday from three to five. I want you guys to come. He said, follow me in every part of my life and in every part of your life. As a follower of Jesus, we're being transformed to have a full share in God's healing, redemptive work in the world. We're praying what he taught us to pray, that his kingdom would come on earth as it is in heaven. And and that, that does mean that our future is secure with, with, with God. We've been talking a lot about the reductionistic picture that some of us were taught as kids about like that becoming a Christian is essentially just like sort of getting a form worked out between you and God where when you die, you go to the right place. But actually, it's an entire life of connection through following Jesus. And so I, I, what we're trying to do is spin the greatest hits <laughs> This, th- th- these 40 days after Easter, the way Jesus did, talking about the kingdom, once everything is clicked in place, what, what does it mean? What does it look like? So we're, we're trying to say in the simplest possible terms, what does it mean to follow Jesus? And we said this last week, but I just want to fly through it for review. It means to be with Jesus, to become like Jesus, and to do what Jesus does, it means to have intimacy with, with, with Christ and, 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 and to commune. We're going to talk about that. And it means out of that intimacy, transformation takes place. And, and, and out of that transformation taking place in our life, we begin to do the things that Jesus does. This is the most simple way that I can think to, 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 to say it. And we're, we've been working on the language as, you know, for, for centuries as a, as a church on, on how do we describe this process. But this is what it is. It's to be with Jesus, to become like Jesus, and to do what Jesus does. One of the ways we talk about it at Trinity Grace is how will you know when this is happening in your life? How will you know when, when this process is taking place? You will start to see transformation in every arena of your life. Who you are begins to be changed and transformed. What you want begins to be changed and transformed. And then how you live, begin, it sort of maps right to it. Be with Jesus, become like Jesus, do what Jesus did. Through, through that intimacy comes a transforming of how we understand ourselves in the world, comes a transforming of what we want most. You live out of what you want most. And then how you live, right? The, the, the tremendous dissatisfaction that shows up in our life when what we want most is not how we actually live is a very painful reality. And following Jesus is meant to holistically you know, heal that, that rift. So... Last week, we, 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 we hit on this at the, at the very end. Um, so in light of what we've just said, how do you follow Jesus? Be with Jesus, become like Jesus, do what Jesus did. It changes your identity, your desires, the rhythms of your life. What do you do on a, on a weekly basis, on a daily basis to, 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 have this pro, to participate in this process? Like, I, like, I just want to try and keep getting as simple and, as, as we possibly can. And so we said last week, it's a process of communion, obedience, equipping, and, and doing all of that with, with companions that, that, we're, that we're not alone. I think that, that you'll see this mapping to, to the, the journey in, in a large scale that the disciples go through. And I was, uh, honestly, I was looking, 
because I knew we were going to do a part two, and I had planned to do all this last week, but it's like, if we're going to do a part two, I'd love to find a story that shows communion, obedience, equipping, and companions all, all in one place. And I just so happened to find this in Luke, Luke 10, and I think, I think it does that while also introducing some fabulously wild ideas and some cities that seem like they're going to be destroyed, which I know you want to hear about, right? So... Um, I want to move quickly through the details of this story so you can see this, this, this paradigm of communion, uh, obedience, equipping, and, and doing all of that with, with companions. So the passage begins, let's just flash the, 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 first, the first teaching text passage up there uh, one more time. I know I don't, I don't, yeah. After this, the Lord appointed 72 others and sent them two by two ahead of, ahead of him to every town and place where he was about to go. So whenever you, you pick up your daily Bible reading is going to be in Luke chapter 10. And you see the, the, the passage you're going to read start with after this or therefore. You, you need to, that, that needs to immediately raise a question as, as a good reader of the scriptures. What's going on here? After what? That's the, that's the question that we, we ask when we see an after this. What has he been talking about? Because that's going to help set the tone for what's, whatever's happening. And it will often, if you have a question, it will be answered just by knowing the context of what's, of what's going on in the story. So Jesus has been talking just before this about following him. And people are sort of trying to get a sense of the priority of where that should be. If they want to be um, you know, connected to Yahweh or are living as a part of Israel's story, if he really is the Messiah, where should they prioritize walking with him in relationship to their other relationships? And Jesus takes this tremendously high view of where following him should be in the midst of all the rest of our relationships. He prioritizes it at the, at the very top for those who are curious and had questions. And so... That's what he's in the middle of talking about. He's in the middle of explaining what it is to be a follower of Jesus. And then he shows them. So uh, out of communion, he, he, he invites them into this, this step of obedience and sends, sends them out. God, whatever God is asking us to obey... He is asking that obedience to flow out of communion. This is part of the heart of the Martha and Mary story that we talked about, about last week. When you take a- any religious system and you disembody it from relationship and you make it a set of principles that you're supposed to get out there and follow by your own willpower, it's going to be devastating. It's going to eventually crush you. It's going to be disillusioning and frustrating. So we begin with communion. We begin that these followers are walking in the dust with Jesus. They are literally doing their, their their, their life alongside of him. Communion, uh, whatever we're asked to obey, flows out of, out of relationship. And this is something that's at the heart of the gospel message. I want you to, to tune in for this for just a second. You don't obey in order to be loved. That's why it's tremendously important that communion comes first. You obey God because you are loved and because, because you're starting to learn that Jesus truly knows us, knows us all the way to the bottom, knows us completely and thoroughly, knows literally what makes for a, a thriving, flourishing human life, no, no, knows truly whatever abundant life is that he knows you and he knows that, that abundant life and he wants to, to invite us into that all the way and to use us to involve us in the healing and redemption of the world. So, that's the only reason you would obey Jesus <laughs> is if you are, are communing <laughs> with Jesus and you're starting to learn, right, 
through like eye contact level intimacy, through learning the still small voice of God, through the joy of, of, of participating in relationship with God. Like, please don't miss the obedience flows out of communion. And that's how we discover what obedience looks like. And that's what takes place in the story, right? Simple enough concept. I think we get it. So the question I need to ask myself and I want to ask you is, do you have a regular daily practice of communion with God? What is your daily regular practice of communion with God? How do you cultivate that relational intimacy with God on a daily basis. How, how, like we have, we have a Sunday rhythm. And, and when we come on Sunday, we have a Sunday rhythm of communion. We come to the table together to remember in the simple act, right? We've got a meal and we've got a bath of baptism, like the most simple sort of uh, elements of, of, of staying in, in, in conscious contact with, with, with God. His broken body is, 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 is for us. His shed blood is for us. We're coming together to commune. We're worshiping, we're praying, we're confessing. That's what we're doing on Sundays. What is your daily habit of communion? It's a really important question because all the rest of what we're going to talk about flows out of that sense of, do I have conscious contact with this, with this Jesus who loves me and knows me to the bottom and knows human life to the bottom and is inviting me into his process of healing, healing the world? So from that communion, you get it. They're giving their walking instructions. So they're, they're giving um, their, their steps of obedience. So you can just look at the story that was just read for us and, and ask simply, what is it that they're asked to obey? And Jesus sets the scene for them in a very honest way. <laughs> if you pay attention to the details at the, at the top of this story, he, he first begins by saying, listen, I'm sending you out because there is tremendous potential in the world. There's tremendous potential, not just in the world generally, but in the towns that I'm sending you. Like if the kingdom of God was to break out in, in one person's life or in a few people's life or in a household or in one of these cities, if, if the kingdom of God was to take hold in one of these places in the way that Jesus is sending them out to see happen, it would, it would have tremendous impact. He says literally, the, the fields are white unto harvest. Like he uses, constantly using these agricultural metaphors, but he's saying there is tremendous potential out there. I'm sending you into a place where, where the opportunity for, for like God to work is so, so high. So many people where you're going, I think this will be true for you as well. So many people where you're going this week need to experience love, the grace of God, maybe healing, maybe an expression of mercy, maybe the gift of forgiveness, maybe just the gift of, of, of listening there's tremendous potential. The next thing he tells them is that the way they're going is significantly contested. Like if you're like, you know, you've been walking with Jesus, you're, you're pretty hyped about what's going on, you're feeling, you're feeling encouraged. Now for the first time he's sending you out with responsibility and you're gonna get to, to proclaim the kingdom and the way he's been proclaiming the kingdom and you've already seen people getting healed and people seeing that weren't seeing and people experiencing tremendous forgiveness and their whole lives being changed. You can imagine the enthusiasm, that my, like the potential is so encouraging and yet he also says, like, this is not the metaphor I would have loved to hear next. I'm sending you out like lamb among the wolves, which you know, like, doesn't go great for the lambs. Like, that's not a wonderful uh, me metaphor for the lamb. Uh, it's, a, it's, a it's a tough, tough look. So there are, are many possible ways that this could go wrong. He's saying th there's tremendous potential, but it is, it is truly significantly contested. This is all 
coming to bear on their obedience. And I bet many times you will see this exact reality take place. God is sending you into a place where there is tremendous potential for the kingdom of God to, to, to be expressed, for the character of God to be known, for the gospel to be, to be communicated in word and deed, right? In, in radical generosity, in, in a conversation, whatever it is. But it is significantly, significantly contested. And they're given instructions about that. They're like, they're like, listen, there's a bunch of distractions that could come. I don't, want you to take, I don't want you to take everything that you need for the journey. I want you to rely on the kindness and generosity of the people that you're going to come in contact with. I want you not to stop and chat with people on the road. I want you to go straight to where I'm sending you. So, so don't try to figure out exactly in this moment what your dynamic equivalent is in your life. Just realize out of communion is flowing these steps of obedience and these followers of Jesus are gonna take these steps of obedience and we're, and we're gonna see what happens. So what does he send them out to do? He sends them out to proclaim a message that has two parts. The first is they're supposed to come into a house and speak peace. But whatever they're gonna say, the first message they carry with them is shalom. Like not just absence of conflict, but like full, harmonious well-being, the love of God, the, the expression of Yahweh in this place. And, if, and, and if, if they're welcomed in, like if there's hospitality extended towards them, then they're, they're meant to stay and to be nourished by the generosity of those people. They're meant to proclaim shalom in this place. And then they're meant to, from that headquarters of shalom, move out into this, the surrounding area and proclaim the kingdom of God, the, the, the reign of Yahweh, the love and mercy and grace and, 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 and truth and justice of Yahweh is, is, is coming. It's coming in individual lives. It's coming in families. It's coming in the world in a new, in a new way. I want to tell you a story that a friend uh, called me to encourage me about this week. Um, and um, like we've been trying for 10 years to be um, like a, a, a winsome, you know, somewhat intelligent, um, uh, e- easy to be around group of Christians that you could bring your coworker and they're not going to be freaked out. And so um, this is the type of story that makes me nervous to tell because I don't want, I, I don't know what you're going to think about it, but when I hear some of these details, I was like, I wish this wasn't happening. Um, but my, my friend Johnny is this guy, I went to college with him. He's always been one of those people who's like not satisfied with just like, hmm, yes, Jesus, let me go on about my, he's like, I want to see what, what, what happens in Christ's life and ministry happen in my life and ministry. So he's, he's, for years, he's been doing things like he takes his Friday night and it, everyone else is like going out to dinner or going to the movies or doing whatever. Johnny goes down to like the worst parts of his town and he walks the streets and he just tries to find people that are in desperate situations and pray for them and, and try to meet their practical needs in, what, in whatever way he can. He's one of those people, right? You know some people like that. And they, they always challenge you when you're, because you're like, gosh, that really puts a finger on my complaint. Complacency, and he's doing this on a regular basis. And he talked about just how he's learned to pray for healing for people over years. He said for years he would pray for people, lay hands on them, and nothing would ever happen. But now he also has uh, he, he has a therapy um, practice, um, and he said it wasn't on the street, but it started to happen in my office that randomly people would would experience healing like right on the spot in my office. And so he's a guy that I just check in from time to time, um, and he he texts me. He's like. Just want to tell you a testimony from this week in my office, and, uh, and I don't know what you'll think about it, but it kind of relates to what Jesus is sending these disciples out to do, so I, w- I wanted to tell you. This man calls him, who he's been working with in an in a, in a, uh, in addiction rehab center, 
And the man basically says, Johnny doesn't put this on him. He says, listen, I think I have a demonic spirit that's, that's tormenting me and has since I was a child. And, and he, uh, he just describes that he's, he's experienced this figure in his room when he was a kid and he didn't know what was, what was all about it. Um, but he said that, that that figure terrifies him. He says he always sees it whenever he's on a drunken binge or on a drug that this, this figure will show up and, and communicate to him. And he says, so is this mental illness or is this actual like a demonic activity, right? I, I, I don't know exactly, but, but Johnny seems to say this guy is calling saying, I, I want you to help me. <laughs> so he comes into his office and so he he, he's been, and he, he starts to describe some of the experiences he's had with this figure. And he talks about, you know, just like pounding vodka with a friend a few years back. And, and they were watching like horror movies. And one of them was about ghost hunting. And they were debating about whether it was real. And he says that, he, he, that both friends passed out. <laughs> and he said that his friend said the, the next morning. So the next morning the guy wakes up and he's in a crucifix position and he's covered in blood. Which is a troubling way to wake up. Um, and he, he said that his friend recounted what happened the night before. He had no recollection of this whatsoever, but his friend said, you came into my room except none of the tattoos that cover your body were there. Your skin was gray, and you looked so bizarre, and then you jumped on me and beat me up. And, and so this guy wakes up. And so this is just like, I'm, not, I'm like, please stop telling me this story. Like, let someone else deal with this, Johnny. This is why you're out there. But he tells me this is, the, this is one of the things the guy casually recounts to him as he's, as he's saying, I want to come into your office. So he comes in, he's feeling that he's demonically oppressed or possessed, and he's, he's like got terribly aching knees, he can barely walk, his back is crooked, and he's like in agonizing pain, and he can't see clearly out of, out of one of his eyes. So they start to pray, and Johnny, like after years, like years and years of walking and trying to pray in the authority of Jesus and ask the kingdom of God to come in someone's life as it is in heaven, prays for this man. And he, he says, the man doesn't know how to describe it. He's like, I start to feel electricity pulsing through my body. Like he said, you know when you eat a Hall's um, uh, cough drop and you just feel that like rush through? He said, it felt like that, but in waves. Like waves were coming over me. And he said, I, I started seeing right out of my eye. And he said, I stood up and there was no pain in my knees and no pain in my back. And he said that um, he just had uncontrollable laughter welling up in him as they're praying that freedom would come over his, his life. That if he was oppressed by any demon, that the demon would leave by the power and authority of Jesus. And this guy literally experiences tremendous freedom. Johnny says he talked to him the, the next week and he said, uh, I haven't had any nightmares whatsoever. I feel like this bubbling sense of laughter just keeps coming up in me. I feel freer than I've ever felt. I'm sleeping different than I, than I ever have. And, and Johnny's just like, just want to encourage you, brother, to keep, keep at it on your way. All right, goodbye. Like, that's the kind of stuff that's in here. It's like, get out there. There's people desperately in need of, of, of this type of love to come crashing into their life. And, and if we're going to sit back there and say, I don't know, sir, I really believe in the demons anyway, or whatever, like, I don't know. This guy was tormented. And then he experiences freedom. So is it a relieving of his mental illness or is there, is, is, was an exorcism taking place? I don't know. I spent, I, I'm, I'm going to keep moving quickly, but I got to spend a, a, a bananas four hours last, last month in Nashville with this dude, Adam Bly, who trains priests in the Catholic Church to do exorcisms. 
And it was the most staggering thing. I was, I was asking him, how do you tell between mental illness and demonic activity? How, 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 how does someone give permission for the demonic activity to go uh, to, to get you know, power in their life? Oh, this dude that um, Johnny was telling me about had an actual time in his life where he invited Satan into his, into his life. So that was a detail I left out. But um, <laughs> that is a big one, isn't it? Um, but this guy, Adam, he's been, he's, been, he's been in rooms where exorcisms were taking place for the last like 15 years. And he said some banana stuff to me. He's like, I don't recommend this as a hobby, but if you read transcripts from exorcisms for like the 14th century, it's so wild because you'll see the exact same thing just happened last week in a room. It's like the demons don't change. Their tactics of using fear to dominate, to twist and to lie, to assert, to assert power in this particular way. Like it's the same exact tactics. And, the, and he's like, but he's like, there's, there's no like movie hype, smoke and mirror stuff. It's just simply about saying and proclaiming the authority of Jesus and doing it in a way where you're, you're checking your own business as well before you walk casually into that room. And just standing behind the authority of Christ and proclaiming the power of Christ's resurrection and that his kingdom will come. And people say, people get delivered. He's like, this guy Adam said, if you want to, you know, like, I'm not sure I believe in a spiritual world anyway. Like, he's like, there are no atheists after an exorcism. You just see, it's like the sort of like there's no atheists in foxholes mentality. Like you just see the power of God come to bear on someone's life. And I, I want to say, like I used to pray, God, like give me every part of the pastoral ministry that you want me to have, but let other people do that part. Like I just like, I've always hated it's scary because I don't want anything to do with it. But Jesus sends out his followers and they're to speak a message of Shalom peace and well-being. And it's not just over like, my job's not quite going exactly like I'd like it to. It's about like life and death, (laughs) torment and freedom, about relationships being healed, about our identity and self-understanding being healed. Of course, it is about mental illness being relieved and, 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 and even the shame of even wrestling with something like that being, being relieved. It's about, it's about being a community where all the shining realities of who God is, who Yahweh is, and, and the kingdom show, showing up in, 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 in real life. And you know what? These disciples come back, and they've got a Johnny story. Like, if, if there are voicemails, they'd be leaving a voicemail on their friend's voicemail on their way to meet up with Jesus and say how well it goes. And you know what? They're telling a story like this guy's story in Johnny's office. He says, the 72 returned with joy and said, Lord, even the demons submit to us in your name. So we've had the communion, and out of that communion has, flown, uh, has flowed obedience. And now they're coming back, and they're saying, we saw the kingdom. We saw people, like, we saw the demons that, that had power over people submit to us in the name of Jesus. They were successful in doing what Jesus had sent them out to do. They come back and report that they were able to wield the authority of Christ, command the demonic, oppressing, possessing forces of evil to leave. And then we learn something. Success can sometimes be a little bit of a dangerous place for us. Because what they choose to focus on in the success of the ministry, in obedience to what Jesus has done, is just slightly off, apparently, from where Jesus wants them to be focused on. The, th- the thing is, they don't first mention the people who experience the freedom. The first thing they mention is that they had power. 
And the next thing they, they mention is, is, again, that they, or the first thing and only thing they mention is that they had power. They don't first realize what this means for their connection to God. They first notice the power. This is something that, that's true for us as human beings a lot, is that we get obsessed with power. God is constantly reorienting us back to love. I'll say that again. We get obsessed with power. Let me see the thing. Do the thing. Show, show, me, show me the power. And God is constantly reorienting us back to love. I, I had this, uh, this little picture of, of, the, of the flow of communion and obedience, right? This is always happening on a daily basis in our life. Out of communion, God gives us instructions. Of, of There's the general instructions of the scripture, how we obey God. But then there's the things, what does God have for you to do today? And this flow of communion and obedience is taking place. What happens in these disciples' lives is that this is happening, and they come back and report on the, the obedience, and there's a blockage in this flow. And God has, and Jesus has to deal with this blockage, and that's what equipping is. So Jesus' response to them and how he corrects their focus is a moment of equipping. When there is a blockage or flow in our communion of obedience, of, of communion obedience, we often need to be equipped. What I mean by this, at times in your life, as you walk with Jesus, you will find there are some, there's something that's missing in your knowledge or there's something that's missing in your life and practice or there's something that's broken that's, that's hindering you from, 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 from living well or walking correctly. There's something that's weak or underdeveloped. There's something that is confused. The word equip in the New Testament is used in all of these ways. So when we talk about the ministry of the church is to equip the saints for the work of ministry, for the life of Jesus expressed in love, there comes a point in many of our lives where where. Something's broken, something's missing, something's weak or under, underdeveloped. The, the word equipped, I mentioned this last week, was used in the first century in these four ways. To outfit a ship for a long journey, to, to give the provisions of what someone's gonna need as they pass through. To set a broken bone is to equip. To train a soldier to fight, to realize that there is a real powerful resistance and conflict in the world. How do we live in it as, as agents of renewal and grace? To restore something to its original condition. This is the, what it means to equip. So this is, we talk sometimes about the difference between trying and training. Like you can say, I love all these things, I'm gonna go out and try, and then you can't do it. Like everyone who ran the Brooklyn half marathon yesterday, like if they had a positive experience, it's not because they tried hard. Even though they did try hard, they had a positive experience because they trained. They slowly, day by day, developed the capacity to, to participate in this activity, right? And that's what we have to do as followers of Jesus. We have to be trained, we have to be equipped, we have to have the things that are missing filled in, so that we can continue the flow of communion and obedience. So this is how Jesus equips them in this moment. He lightly, offhandedly says, I saw Satan fall like lightning from heaven. I have given you authority to trample on snakes and scorpions and to overcome all the power of the enemy. Nothing will harm you, right? Power is yours because you're united to me. However, do not rejoice that the spirits submit to you, but rejoice that your names are written in heaven. He reinforces the authority that they have a share in because of their union with him. But he says, don't forget the most important thing is that you're in a relational kingdom. Don't forget that the most important thing is, is love. That you are known by God by name. 
You are known by God by name. These people that you went out and prayed for and ministered to and demonstrated, the, they, they are known by God. And many of them are being brought in to know that they are known by God by name. I don't want you to be too confused about the, the warnings that are given to specific cities in this, in this passage. Jesus is, um, there, there is like, there is, there is, a reality in the scriptures that comes up over and over again that our lives, there's going to be an evaluation of our lives at some point in, in, in the presence of God where, where we, we sort of give an account for, for, for our lives. But what Jesus is talking about on the, in the, on the first level here in this story is that in 70 AD, Jerusalem is going to be destroyed. So we're talking, we're in the 30s now. In just a, a few decades, these cities and towns are gonna be destroyed. So when Jesus sends out his, his followers with a message of peace, it's not just like general spiritual peace. I'm, I'm sitting crisscross applesauce in the park with my journal out and I feel well-being. It's saying, drop your swords. Stop letting your imaginations play that the solution to your problem with Rome is gonna be violence. Because if you don't accept this message of peace, this way of the kingdom, if you miss God being in your midst right now, what's gonna come is you're gonna literally be decimated. And many of them would not heed the message of peace. They did reject the message and Jesus weeps over Jerusalem as he's coming in on his final week. You remember that? Oh, Jerusalem, that I could gather you in like a mother hen gathers and, and you would not. And he sees, prophetically sees what's on the way, that these cities are actually going to be destroyed. And so they're not heeding this message of peace. It's not just like some apocalyptic vision. It's literally like an apocalyptic thing. In a couple of decades, it's coming to Jerusalem. The urgency of this message of peace was very intense. So there's been communion, obedience. Jesus equips them. And the last thing I want you to see is this, this companions. The text tells us he sent them out two by two, ahead of him to every town and place he was about to go. Every one of us has to personally respond to the invitation of Jesus to be a follower. But then from that point forward, you never go alone. You never go alone. You have to make a decision, will you be a follower of Jesus? And from that point forward, you never go alone. We have companions on the journey. We are brought into a family that is not comprised of our personal preferences or people that look like us. There is this powerful unity and diversity that is in the kingdom of God. And Jesus is like, I want you to realize this shared experience that you're having. Do you realize that generations before you wish they were tasting and seeing what you're tasting and seeing? What a time to be alive. I think if you follow Jesus, whatever your time is, you will, you will come often back to that refrain. What a time to be alive. It doesn't mean that you're gonna stop being, like having a more melancholy personality if you have one or you're just gonna stop having problems or whatever, but I think you will, as you follow Jesus, begin to see the intersection of God's heart and particular opportunity in your life in a way that you will start to say, what a time to be alive. I wanna say, there are there are glimpses of revival taking place all across the world right now, even in our country in a powerful way. There is an uptick in spiritual hunger, and I'm not just talking about in the church. All across our culture, there is an uptick in spiritual hunger. Many people are real, realizing that in spite of our tremendous financial and technological progress, we need to find new sustainable ways to live, and we need to not ignore the reality of our souls and our spirits. 
The Holy Spirit is being poured out in reviving ways. Even in our church, uh, we, we, we've seen this reality over the last three or four years. Right? We're not the same church we were when, when we first started. The Holy Spirit is being poured out here. It's being poured out in pockets all across this city. What a time to be alive. Do you realize the moment you're in? So the question we end by asking is, will you follow Jesus in our time? It's a relationship entirely defined by grace. That's how we're brought in, by his life and death and resurrection. And yet it is also a life sustained by grace. As we, like, it's not just the grace of being welcomed. It's the grace of living every day. So the question that come right out of this, this framework we've been talking about, here, here they are for you. I'm going to say them in the simplest possible terms. Do you have a practice of communion? If not, guess when you can start? Today. Do you have a practice of communion, a way that you connect intimately with God on a daily basis, that you immerse yourself in the story and person of Jesus? Secondly, is there a way that God is inviting you to obedience? Is there a specific thing God's asking you to do in this time in your life? The third question, is there, is there equipping that you need? Is there something that's broken, something that's missing, something that feels weak or underdeveloped, something that feels confused? Is there a, is a way, let's help one another. We're on this journey together, and that's the last question. Will you commit that you're not walking alone? That you're not just gonna deal with this on your own, that, you, that we're just as sick as our secrets and so we're gonna bring this stuff into the light and we're gonna, we're gonna walk together in, as a family and help one another in this flow of communion, obedience, equipping, and, and doing it all together. So these are the questions that we're gonna have in our hearts and we're gonna pray out as we come to the table. Heavenly Father, I just wanna ask that you would take everything that we've said um, that's been said this morning and you would apply it specifically to the hearts of your people. For anyone that feels estranged and distant or, or, or like a stranger to you, God, I pray that they would sense your invitation um, to trust the good news that they can be welcomed in as family for the first time this, this morning if they want. And I just pray, Holy Spirit, that you would help us to answer these questions about about our daily communion with you, about how to obey, about the things that are missing in our lives right now, about not doing this alone. I pray you'd speak Holy Spirit to each person in a way they can hear and understand. Help us as we, as we come to the table, as we pause to pray with one another, as we sing out worship to you, God. Would you just meet us in all of these ways? In Jesus' name, amen.